Okay, welcome to the Confession Box and joining us again in the Confession Box. He's a regular, uh, is Michael Kelly of the Irish Catholic. Michael, would you be, would you be, traditionally have been called a frequent confessor? Frequent penitent. A frequent penitent. Well, you're very welcome this morning. Speaking of penitence, Michael, um, on a serious note, um, you have a story in the Irish Catholic this week about the Je- ex-Jesuit Father Rupnik, the artist, and... Uh, the bishops are reviewing what to do about his art, which is in the Irish College. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, Mark Rupnik, as you say, uh, recently just dismissed from the Jesuit order, is probably one of the most famous contemporary church artists that there is. His mosaics, in particular, which he specialises in, are in churches and places of worship all over the world. Uh, The Vatican, uh, San Giovanni Rotondo, where where Padre Pio was based, uh, Lourdes, the Marian Shrine in France, and of course the Pontifical Irish College about uh, 15 years ago the chapel there was extensively remodelled under the supervision of uh, Father Rupnik and the mosaics are there very beautiful mosaics I have to say of uh, all the saints of Ireland and uh, the chapel really is uh, a treasure and I suppose one of the great regrets is that because it's largely a private chapel so few people actually see it but we mentioned that Father Rupnik has been dismissed from the Jesuit order now what they're saying is he was dismissed for disobedience but this comes following a string of allegations of sexual abuse against adult women, uh, nuns in particular, but also lay women. And uh, the Jesuit order evidently has found these allegations against Father Rupnik to be uh, credible. So there's a huge discussion going on now about what to do with his art. And uh, this has implications, of course, for the church in Ireland, because the Irish bishops are the trustees of the Pontifical Irish College. And we have someone like Margaret McGuckin, you know, who's a prominent uh, campaigner around abuse and herself a survivor of abuse in a church setting. And she's saying that the art should be removed. She's saying that it should have no place because so long as the art is there, you're platforming Father Rupnik. Now, at the same time, we have uh, uh, Dr. Paul Caffrey, who is an art historian at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin. He's saying, well, look, this is really, really difficult because he says if you're going to pursue uh, artists because of failings in their lives and say that we can't have their art, what are you going to do with Caravaggio? What are you going to do with Michelangelo? I mean, if we look through the history of artists uh, in many circumstances, these have not been the most savoury of people. So there is that uh, that conflict that's there. The Bishop of uh, Lourdes now is saying he is minded to take down the mosaics in Lourdes uh, there at the Marian Shrine because many uh, survivors, many victims have asked him to so do and what we know now is the Irish bishops are going to discuss this at their next meeting what to do with the art in the in the Pontifical Irish College so it's it's very much a very much a live case and I think probably it's something that the bishops will be very uh, will be very led by the reaction of victims and survivors in this and sometimes when you're dealing with a scenario like this there isn't the perhaps the opportunity for the kind of cool head approach that I think Dr. Caffrey would prefer. Well the cool head approach, especially in these cynical times, suggests to me that maybe they should have a wider consultation on it and not just listen to victims of abuse because while they have a voice, there's other voices as well. It is a beautiful chapel. It is a private chapel. Um, and there's also actually interesting, there, there's, uh, isn't there, we, you said the, the martyrs, the Irish martyrs, mm. isn't there a modern Irish martyr on the wall? There is indeed. Uh, Father Rahid Ghani, who was uh, an Iraqi uh, Chaldean priest who studied in the Pontifical Irish College, he himself was martyr 
encountered in Iraq uh, very, very recently. And he's someone that the Irish College is uh, extremely proud of because if you look at the history of the Irish College, of course, who was one of the most famous former students, St. Oliver Plunkett, again martyred for the faith. And I suppose the story of Father Ghani, who was pictured there in the mosaic, holding the, the palm branch traditionally associated with the martyr, is that uh, the history of the church continues. And while we in Ireland very much view martyrdom as something uh, from our from our past, uh, be it at the time of the, the, the Reformation or after that, very much the story for Christians, particularly in the Middle East, is a story of martyrdom today. So that's very, very beautiful. I think in terms of the wider conversation, that's exactly what I would favour. I would favour uh, a, a widespread consultation about what to do about this. I think the difficulty, and this is the corner the bishops are in, because of the very real perception that's there that victims weren't listened to in in the past, I think bishops tend to be extremely deferential to uh, to the voice of uh, of victims and survivors at the moment. So I think that is the difficulty. Nobody wants to be seen to kind of go against the wishes of victims and survivors. I think that's the bind that the bishops find themselves in around this. I think probably they would just be hoping that the story would go away. Michael, another story in the paper this week is um, a city centre priest has said uh, that his parishioners are fed up with, um, I suppose, uh, the, the challenging uh, social situation in the city centre and that he found the, the, the Minister for Justice Commons fatalistic. Uh, can you shed a bit more light on that? Yeah, I mean, anyone who hasn't been living under a rock for the last few years will realise that Dublin city centre has become a much more dangerous place. It seems to me that at the time of the uh, the pandemic, um, when the city centre wasn't functioning as normal, when people weren't going to work, when there wasn't any tourists, when there wasn't the, the same footfall, a certain antisocial element uh, began to have a huge influence in the city centre. And it seems to me that was a genie out of the bottle that hasn't been put back into the bottle, even after the pandemic has ended. So we've had high profile cases uh, in, in recent weeks. We had a Ukrainian artist who was performing in the Abbey Theatre, very, very ba- badly beaten up and robbed. We had an American tourist on uh, Store Street, just beside the Garda station, actually very badly beaten up and in intensive care with uh, life altering uh, life altering injuries. And, you know, we've had a number of uh, the, the, these assaults in the city centre, which has led the American embassy in what is very, very embarrassing for the Irish government to actually warn tourists not to be walking around with their AirPods if they have an expensive watch to cover it up. I mean, we're talking about the capital city of one of the wealthiest countries in the world. And this is the kind of advice that is going out. So this is hugely damaging for the reputation of Dublin around the world. And what city centre parishes are saying to us is this is something that they have been talking about for years. They are parishioners, many of whom are elderly, let's face it, no longer feel safe coming to the church and we're talking here not late at night we're talking in the middle of the daytime that people feel unsafe going to the uh, the parishes and I suppose the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee seemed to be saying in some of her comments well you know Dublin is fairly safe but not completely safe so it's just one of these things with, uh, w- w- with a big city so I think that's why the parishes are reacting saying that that's a little bit fatalistic because this is not Dublin's fate this doesn't have to be how things are I mean there are things that have happened in other cities which were much more dangerous than Dublin and they really really have helped they really really have made an impact so I suppose in some ways what the parishes are trying to highlight is the fact that Dublin city centre uh, in many ways has been has been left behind and has been left in a, in a state of decay 
and 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 Mary Kenny is writing on 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 the city center as well. She's talking about the pro cathedral and plans by the Dublin Diocese to move the pro cathedral out of that area. Now, not not very far away, Westland Road, but the other side of the river. Um, is is it, even though the reasons for moving it might be might be good, it, it's probably bad optics to be moving your cathedral out of the city centre when at, at this moment in time. Oh, it's extremely bad optics, and I mean anyone who knows anything about the uh, the geography of Dublin will know that the river is an extreme dividing line. There's a rivalry there between the north side and uh, the south side, with um, perhaps both communities uh, uh, looking upon each other with a certain amount of uh, disdain. Certainly, the north. Inner city is a community that has felt under pressure, has perhaps felt that there's a drift of services and uh, and other institutions to the south side. And now, unfortunately, the Dublin Diocese seems to be going to follow that. The proposal is that the the pro cathedral, because let's bear in mind why it's called a pro cathedral. It's the cathedral pro tempore, because actually the uh, the pre Reformation cathedral of Dublin is actually a Christchurch cathedral, which is now in the possession of the Church of Ireland. So the building on Marlborough Street was only ever supposed to be a temporary cathedral. The new one was to be built in Marion Square Park, but that, that's long since been abandoned. So the proposal is now that that would become a basilica and that Westland Road Church and St. Andrew's Church there on the south side of the city, also the city centre, that that would become the cathedral. The reason the Archbishop is giving, he's saying it's closer to the commercial heart of the city, it's closer to the political heart of the city. I'm not sure as the church has become much more countercultural that those things are hugely important in the way that they were in the past. I mean, I really don't think that you're going to have a long procession of government ministers lining up to go to mass in the new cathedral in St. Andrews just because it happens to be closer to government buildings and it happens to be closer to Leinster House. I think the great danger is, particularly for the north inner city, that uh, parishioners will feel that this is just one more thing that has been taken away from the one more thing that is abandoning the north side. The other side to that is the cathedral is not owned by the people of the North Inner City. The cathedral is the mother church of the entire Dublin Diocese, which is parishes in Kildare, which is parishes in Wicklow, even a parish in County Wexford. So this really is a decision for the entire diocesan community to discuss. I think it probably would be unfair just to turn it into uh, a battle between the North Inner City and the South Inner City. And and to, and, and to be fair, it, uh, and, and you're not saying that, but uh, but the, you know, there's no question that the Archbishop is shuttering the church or anything like that. As you say, it would be called a basilica, so it would be business as usual. But um, it does, it does. Mary's raising issues around just even just from from a point of view of liturgy that Westland Row really is not a great alternative, and maybe maybe other churches in Dublin should be considered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Westland Row, it's uh, it's quite a barn of a church. It's a, it's a huge space. The sanctuary area is uh, very very wide. It does doesn't lend itself uh, very much to to an intimate or uh, an inclusive form of liturgy. I think some of the decoration that has taken place in the church down through the years is, is not of a high standard. I mean, it's certainly, if you compare it to any cathedral in any other capital city in Western Europe, it certainly wouldn't rank there in terms of uh, artistic beauty. I think the parish 
community around there in St Andrews is very small as well. A lot of the housing there has been replaced by commercial buildings. Uh, okay, it's beside a major railway station, so there is potentially a lot of uh, footfall there. And I know on Ash Wednesday, for example, it's extremely popular for people to go and get their, their ashes there as part of the, the penitential uh, ceremony. But I think, you know, you could look a little bit further in Dublin because, you know, the cathedral doesn't necessarily have to be exactly in the city centre. And I think somewhere like the church in Rathmines is very, very beautiful. And I think if one was looking on an issue of beauty alone, then I think that would be a much better option than St. Andrews. But what the Archbishop is proposing is exactly what you say, that the uh, the new cathedral, if that's what it becomes, because it will need the permission of Rome, will be linked with uh, the, the old pro-cathedral uh, then as a basilica, almost as like one one parish together, one city centre hub, because they really are only a stone's throw away from each other at the moment. Could, could you could you make a church a cathedral for a year and, you know, everybody goes out and celebrates and renews that place for a year and then another church takes on the mantle for another year, almost like a, a pop-up cathedral? Or would that be... Well, there'd be no difficulty with that. I mean, where, is, where does the cathedral get its name from? It gets its name from the cathedra, which is the bishop's chair. So actually, wherever the bishop's chair is, is the, is the cathedral. And since the building we have at the moment is only the temporary cathedral, pro-cathedral, there's uh, no reason whatsoever why you couldn't move this around. Uh, some some cities, for all kinds of historic reasons, actually have co-cathedrals. So that, that's something that, uh, that could be considered as well. But wherever the bishop sits, that's where the cathedral is. Yeah, just look. It's very interesting, and I'm, but I'm sure there's 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 lots of um, there's lots of possibilities around it with a bit of imagination. But I'm um, speaking of barns of of churches. Um, Bishop Larry Duffy uh, said this week, and it's in the paper. Uh, Larry Duffy of 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 Clogher, that basically he's gone. He's got he's gone running out of priests very fast, and in twenty years they're going to be down to I think eight priests in the diocese. Um, and he's talking about new ways. Um, and as you know, I'm a big fan of synodal church and all that, but I just find when bishops talk about new ways and including lay people, I find that the detail around how that will pan out is 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 slim on the ground. Did did he say anything more about these new ways and? What would it be? I mean, no, he doesn't really say anything about what the new ways will be. I mean, he talks about lay participation, co-responsibility, these kind of buzzwords that we hear a lot around synodality. But you see, the difficulty here is, and this is something that I think the church is slow to articulate, sacraments and priesthood are absolutely bound up with what Catholicism is. I mean, if we don't have priests, we don't have the Eucharist. And if we don't have the Eucharist, then we don't have the, uh, the Catholic Church. And I think... Not to name that is a is, is a major issue. And, you know, we can have lay people organizing funeral liturgies. We can have lay people organizing baptismal liturgies. All of those things uh, can happen. Lay people cannot preside at the Eucharist. It's neither desirable nor feasible to have a kind of situation whereby hosts would be consecrated by one priest in one parish and then they would be distributed then to another parish by way of communion services. The church is more fully itself when we gather together for the celebration of the Eucharist rather than just the distribution yeah, we can't of mechanize, consecrated hosts. Yeah, we can mechanise the Eucharist. Uh, any, 
more than already is. No, to some you, extent, you you yeah. run the risk of trying to turn it into something that's that's magical. And you know, the Eucharist is is a sacrament. It's Christ's abiding presence with us. It's not something that's magical. And I think that there is a danger that we cheapen our theology around the Eucharist. The Eucharist really is at its summit in the celebration of the Mass. And I think to separate the two from that uh, would be would be deeply flawed. I mean, I think uh, we're having this year for diocesan vocations at the moment. But sometimes I think in the church, we talk about the issue of vocations as if somehow they're, uh, they're an added benefit or they're an added bonus. Priesthood is absolutely intrinsic to what the Catholic Church is. And without priesthood, uh, you don't have the Catholic Church. And I'm not sure to what extent that has been drilled down into the parishes. People talk about like a lay-led future. And of course, everyone thinks that co-responsibility is a good idea. And uh, God knows in many parish lay people long to be more involved in, in, in the life of the church. But that has a very limited role in, in the Catholic Church, particularly when it comes to the continuation of the sacraments. And I think we're slow to name that. Well, Michael, here in the Confession Box, we're continuing the ministry of the Sacrament of Confession. So thank you for coming in to Amen. us today. Thank and you. the Irish Catholic is on sale in, in nearly every church around the country this weekend. Thank you.